Church. Uh, this morning's Bible reading is from the book of Revelation, right at the end of the Bible, and we're in chapter 2. Chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. <clears throat> to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Well, good morning. It's scarcely believable, uh, but this year will be 25 years since I left school. I know, it looks more like it should be 35. <laughs> but there are still two words, two words from school days that are so ingrained into me that whenever I hear them, I still get the shivers. And of course, those words are cross-country. <laughs> um, but close behind them, and perhaps more appropriate for this morning, uh, and perhaps this will resonate with some of you, we still feel a little twinge, don't we, whenever we hear the words, school report. I still see it with my children. The way the reports uh, have changed, it's all changed now. They come in an app rather than in a letter. Um, they talk about progress instead of achievement. In some ways, they're very different. But actually, in some ways, they're very similar. And one of those ways is the nervousness. You can see it when they come home from school that day. I felt the same way when I knew that my parents were about to look at my report. For any child, I think, there's something a bit scary about it going down on paper, how well or how not well you're doing. There's something uncomfortable about somebody writing down and telling people what you could be doing better. Hopefully that's a fear that we grow out of. Getting honest feedback from someone is the best way, often the only way, that we can really know what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. It's actually the only way that we can improve if there's something that we're getting wrong. And in my professional life today, actually one of the most common complaints from junior lawyers is that they don't get enough feedback from partners. They want their school reports more often so that they can get to grips with what their strengths are and where they need to improve. So this section of Revelation that we're going to look at for the rest of the series in, in the morning services is made up of letters, each of them written to a church. And you can think of these letters as being something like a school report, something like an appraisal. These letters are feedback, 
being given to these churches. And that means it's really important that we understand who the letters are to. Because if it's a school report, if it's an appraisal, if it's feedback, then we need to understand who that feedback is for. So, first level, we can skim over them and we can see they're addressed to seven churches uh, on the west coast of the Roman province of Asia, modern-day Turkey. Uh, I think we've got a map if we can put that up. So there are seven of these churches. This is the route that they're going to go in. This is actually corresponds to a trade route. You can see that John is writing from the island of Patmos, uh, just, off the, um, just off the coast. So you can see just to the left of the number one. Uh, so that's the route that this letter is going to go on. But we notice then there are seven of these churches. And we've said over the past couple of weeks, and it's on your card as well, at the time that this vision was given to John, seven was a number that people in general understood to mean all. Seven churches, all the churches. If you're a Bible scholar and you know the context, when you see that there are seven letters to seven churches, you understand that in the same way as the original audience would have done. Seven churches doesn't just mean seven churches. Seven churches means all the churches. Not just all the churches at the time, literally all the churches. But let's stick on this for a second because not all of us necessarily have that context. Not all of us are necessarily schooled in um, first century numerology. So maybe for some of us, that connection doesn't quite feel real. We don't use numbers in that way anymore. But it's important that we get this. And luckily for us, there's another signpost to make sure that we don't miss this point. There's a phrase that's going to come up in every single one of these seven letters. If we could put that up on the slides, it's in verse 7 in our passage this morning. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's going to come up in each one. Not whoever in Ephesus has ears, not whoever in Philadelphia has ears. Whoever has ears that are willing to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So these letters aren't just meant for the people they're addressed to. And it's important that we bear that in mind. These letters are open letters, intended to be read and understood by all the churches, intended to be heard by anyone who has ears willing to hear. That's who the feedback is for. And that's really important because, yes, these were written to real churches in their own particular times and places. And we're going to see as we go through that there are some very specific issues that these churches were facing and that these letters addressed. But these letters were also explicitly written, explicitly written to all of the churches throughout history, whoever has ears. And of course, that means, look around you, we're in a church. So that means that these letters were written to us. And we need to bear that in mind as we go through these seven weeks. Because as we work through the letters, we're going to find great encouragement and we're going to find great challenge. These original seven churches, just like every church, were doing some things right, doing some things wrong, and in some cases were going or about to go through some significant trials. And the letters deal with all of this. The letters praise the good, they correct the bad, and they give guidance for the trials. That's why we need to be clear about our context. Yes, this feedback, this appraisal, this report 
was for the actual real members of the actual real churches in Ephesus and Smyrna and Philadelphia and all the rest. But also, absolutely explicitly, absolutely clearly, these letters are addressed to us. At least one of these letters, possibly some parts of more than one of them, is directly meant to address our situation right now in this church today. Somewhere in here is our school report. So, as we go through these seven letters over the next few weeks, we should be looking for ourselves. We should be expecting to find ourselves in here somewhere. Some of this praise, some of this correction, some of this encouragement, some of these warnings are addressed directly to us, right here, right now. Okay? So, I hope that has landed uh, so that we all know now what we're doing with these letters. So let's dive into this morning's one. It begins in verse 1, as letters tended to at this time, by setting out not just who the letter is to, which is the church in Ephesus, but also who the letter is from. He who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. If you heard last week's sermon, you'll know who that is. And if you didn't, you can probably guess, but it's worth spelling it out. This is a callback to the vision um, that began in chapter 1, which is a vision of Jesus. Not the Jesus of Christmas, the baby in a manger. Not the Jesus of his earthly ministry, an outcast preacher. Not even the Jesus of Easter on the cross. Now, this letter is from Jesus now. This letter is from Jesus as he is in eternity. This letter is from King Jesus, crowned in glory, in all of his majesty and power. This is the Jesus that we saw in chapter 1. Jesus, the King of heaven, who walks, notice present tense, walks among the lampstands. We're told that the lampstands are the seven churches. Again, seven churches, all the churches. So who is this letter from? It's from the risen Jesus, who immediately reminds us that he's present that he's in his churches, he's amongst us, and he sees what happens. And in case we've missed that point in the illusion, again, the signpost is there for us. Look at the first two words of verse 2. I know. Jesus knows. This isn't general advice. These letters aren't abstract principles for good church behavior. This is actual feedback on what Jesus actually sees, present tense, and actually knows is happening. So the first three things that he knows in this letter are all good. This is the positive part of the feedback. He knows about their hard work. He knows about their perseverance. And he knows that they insist on good teaching. They test people who come and claim to teach. We actually know quite a lot about the church in Ephesus. Uh, we can read in Acts about Paul's visits there. On his uh, second missionary journey, Paul helped to establish that church uh, in Ephesus. And then on his third journey, Paul actually stayed there for three years. We know from history that Ephesus was a very important city in Asia. It was one of the major trade centers. Actually, more than that, it was a big tourist destination um, and also the banking hub uh, of the province. So at first blush, it might seem strange to us that Paul, the great traveler, Paul, the great evangelist, 
stayed in one place for so long. Three years is a long time for Paul to have spent somewhere. But actually, when you stop and think about the number of people coming and going through Ephesus for trade and tourism and banking, how important it was to the region, you can start to see maybe how a thriving church there would actually have been a really great way to evangelize Asia and from there um, beyond. But you can also see from history how it would have been a very hard place to grow a church. The tourism and the banking, actually, in in Ephesus at this time were centred on the temple of Artemis. Artemis was the Roman goddess Diana. So as well as the opposition that you'd expect from any established religion when a new religion pops up, the church in Ephesus saying that there was only one god, as Christian churches have a habit of doing, would have been quite unpopular. The Christians in this early church actually were a long way from the center of empire. So they probably weren't going to be locked up or thrown to the lions for blasphemy. If they'd been in Rome, maybe they'd have had that problem. But out in the outskirts, that wasn't the sort of thing that happened. But they were in a city that was devoted to Artemis because it was the center of business. It was everything that brought money into the city. Being anti-Artemis in Ephesus would have been like being anti-boats in Portsmouth. It was not blasphemy so much as it was just unpopular, unwelcome. The Christians would have been outcasts. They wouldn't have been welcome in polite society because it just wasn't a view that you were allowed to hold. And actually, I find that really helpful because so often when we read about hardship and persecution of the early church, we're thinking about quite dramatic things, We're thinking about people being pursued and locked up and thrown to lions. And it's easy for us to sort of skate on and say, well, that doesn't happen to us and and kind of move on. This isn't that. This is a lot more like what we're faced with today. These hardships are all to do with the culture around this church just not being happy with the culture of the church. These hardships are all about not being quite welcome in the society around you. That's the kind of hardship that we're talking about here. It's a lot more like what we find ourselves dealing with today. So in the context of a a hard place to grow a church, what an incredible encouragement it must have been to read this first part of the school report for the church in Ephesus to hear that Jesus knows. He knows about their hard work. He knows about their perseverance. He knows they're not buckling under and just going with the flow, letting the Artemis culture around them dictate what they say. They're preaching the gospel. They're persevering. And Jesus knows. And he takes the time to say, well done. How great must it have been for those church members in Ephesus, working in their ministries in the weeks and months and years that followed? How much easier must they have found that work to do, knowing that Jesus himself saw it, knowing that Jesus said to them, I know what you're doing. How much easier would those hardships have been to bear? How much easier would that pressure from society have been to bear, knowing that Jesus knows, and Jesus has told you that he knows, that you're doing it? On top of that, we see in verses 2 and 6, This church was uh, sticking very closely to good teaching. And again, Jesus knows this was a problem for a lot of early churches. 
A lot of false teachers came into towns and cities and tried to take over um, these congregations that had set up. Actually, when Paul left Ephesus after his three-year stay, his second stint there, he told the elders there about the importance of watching out for false teaching. He warned them about the fierce wolves that would come for their flock of believers. And he didn't mean the Temple of Artemis. He meant people who would show up and say they were following Christ, that they were teachers of the gospel. But really, they weren't. They were out for their own gain. The church seems to have taken this to heart. Verse 2, they cannot tolerate wicked people. They've tested anyone who claimed authority and found them false. And verse 6, they hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. Tune in two weeks from now if you want to know a bit more about the Nicolaitans. Uh, But for now, um, it's enough to know that they were teaching something that wasn't the gospel. And it's enough to know that the church in Ephesus wasn't having any of it. And again, what an encouragement for the church to be told that Jesus sees them doing this, that Jesus knows what they're doing. Taking a stand against false teaching whether that's a person who's coming claiming authority or a fad, a, church, a, a belief that's sweeping through the church at large, that's not easy. It's not easy. It always costs. It's going to lead to arguments. It's going to lead to hurt feelings. It can, in the extremes, lead to people leaving or even perhaps the church splitting. But again, how much easier to pay that price knowing that Jesus had seen them doing it, knowing that Jesus knows, knowing that Jesus has commended them for it. And so that part of the school report, that part of the feedback, that part of the appraisal is all encouragement. Jesus wanted to point out to the church in Ephesus that he knows the good things that they're doing, to encourage them to keep up with the good, to make it easier for them to pay that price, to put in that work, to persevere. But it wasn't all good. And the bad part of this school report is very bad. Verse 4. The Ephesians have lost the love that they had at first. It's a sharp turn, right? This is a church that seems to be doing a lot right. They're working hard. They're not folding in the face of trials. They're biting the bullet and paying the price to oppose bad teaching. But they've lost the love. And as a result of that, they've stopped doing some of the things that they did at first. Now, Bible scholars take some different views on exactly what they'd lost. Was it their love for one another? What we might talk about as pastoral care? Or was it their love for people around them? what we might talk about as sort of passion for outreach. I once heard Vaughan Roberts preach on this passage, and his answer was that we don't need to know that. The immediate problem might be either of those, or it might actually be something entirely different. But ultimately, whatever it was, it boiled down to this church having lost, to some degree, its love for Jesus. The real problem... Whatever the specific issue was, the real problem was that the church in Ephesus was, to some degree, just going through the motions. They were doing the right things, yes, but they were just doing them. They weren't doing them because they loved Jesus. And that's a serious problem. 
Look at verse 5. It's so serious that Jesus says if they don't fix it, their lampstand will be removed from its place. The church will fail. The church will cease to exist. Doing the good things, and they are good things. Jesus tells us that they're good things. Doing the good things doesn't earn the church its place. Doesn't earn the church its place. You can work hard, you can persevere. That doesn't earn the church its place. Loving Jesus earns the church its place. And then doing those good things rooted in that love of Jesus. That's how it's meant to work. That's the phrase that Paul used when he wrote to the Ephesians in his letter. Um, He expressed it as being rooted and established in love. That was his prayer for that church. If the church and if the people in the church have the love of Jesus at their centre, then all the rest flows. If they don't, it's a problem. That's the warning. It's a serious rebuke in this report, in this appraisal. But Jesus doesn't just rebuke them and move on. He also tells them how to get out of that problem. It's right there in verse 5. Consider how far you've fallen. Take a proper look at yourselves. See that you're just doing things for the sake of doing them. Recognize that your heart is not right. Step two, repent. Turn away from just going through the motions. Turn away from the empty performance of these things. Turn back to love. And then step three, do the things that you did at first. Start doing the things that they'd stopped doing when their hearts weren't right. Get that motivation back and do it. That's the roadmap for Ephesus, for the Ephesians. Consider, repent, and do. Consider, repent, and do. And if we feel that our hearts might not be right, that's the roadmap for us too. As individuals, not just as a church, it's vitally important that we're not just going through the motions. It's vitally important that when we're serving, we're motivated by our love for Jesus. It can be hard to keep that in mind. When we're having a hard time personally, when we're working long hours, when the service that we're involved in is particularly difficult, it can become just another thing on the to-do list. And we do it. We tick the box. We work hard. But that on its own isn't enough. Honestly, anything that we do regularly can start to feel that way, like just another thing on the to-do list. And obviously, it's great when we build our service, when we build our our Christian lives into our day-to-day lives. Of course, we want our service to be routine in the sense of something that we do regularly. But we don't want it to be routine, as in just more stuff. Because then we can start to think of it in the same way as we do everything else. Things to do. Not things to do because we love Jesus. I know I've been there. I suspect most of us have at one time in our lives or another. But if we find ourselves in that place, there's our roadmap. Consider, repent and do. Consider how far we've fallen. Recognize the problem. Recognize that we're treating this as just more stuff, not stuff that we're doing because we love Jesus. Repent of the attitude. Remind ourselves that being a Christian, first and foremost, is a relationship, a relationship with the Lord who loved us first. And do the things that we did when our hearts were right, 
whether that means going back to things that perhaps we've stopped doing, or doing the same things, but making sure going in that our thoughts and attitudes are right, that we're focusing in on our love for Jesus rather than just the performance of our service. I'm not saying that's easy, but that's the map. That's the path that we need to walk down. And look at the encouragement in verse 7. To the one who is victorious, to the one who overcomes, Jesus will give the right to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. This is a a preview. It's like a trailer for a movie, for a much longer vision um, that's going to come in the closing chapters uh, of this uh, remarkable book of Revelation. It's a vision of the end of God's plan when earth and heaven have been made new and God's people live with God in his paradise. Eating from the tree of life is a picture of having eternal life, not here, but there, in God's paradise. So Jesus is reminding us of that, that goal. He's given us the map to get there, but also in reminding us of that, he's reminding us the only way for us to enter that paradise was for him to suffer and die on our behalf. So he's not just showing us what's on offer. He's showing us the love that he had for us first. When we're struggling, when we need to consider how far we've fallen and repent of it and do the things, what an amazing thing for us to be able to focus on. What better way could there be to bring us back to our love for Jesus than first looking at Jesus' love for us? Let me wrap up. These letters over the next six weeks and and hopefully this morning as well are going to give us a lot to think about. Each one is going to lay out things that churches get right. Most of them are going to lay out things that churches get wrong. Each one is giving honest feedback, something we can learn from if it applies to us. It might be that we see ourselves as individuals in some of these letters. It might be that we see ourselves as a church in some of these letters. And we mustn't forget, by the way, as we go through, that a church is made up of individuals. It's not just the responsibility of the elders, thankfully. Uh, It's not just the responsibility of the staff to make sure that our church is getting things right, avoiding getting things wrong. It's up to all of us. That's what it means to be part of a church. So let me make a couple of practical suggestions. I think you can apply these to, to, to all the letters, but I'll use the examples from this morning. As human beings, I'd suggest we're very good at talking to people about things that we don't like, but we're maybe less good at making sure everybody knows about the things we think are going well. So if the living, reigning Lord Jesus made sure to tell the church in Ephesus how pleased he was with their work, their perseverance, and their treatment of teaching, well, maybe we should think about that ourselves as well. Maybe we should be sharing the encouragement around. Jesus is walking among the lampstands, and and that includes ours. He knows what goes on here. This letter is addressed to us too. If we see ourselves in the positive behaviors, we should be so encouraged that Jesus knows what we're doing. Jesus knows about the hard work that you are putting in. Jesus knows about your perseverance. And perhaps we should be talking to each other about the things that we think the church gets right not just the elders, not just the staff, but each other, the people who we would complain to about something we didn't like. Maybe we should be saying, isn't it great that the church does this? 
We're all involved in different ministries, and I think maybe we sometimes assume that everybody knows what we know, that if I see some hard work, well, you must all know about it. It's probably not true. There's so much that goes on in so many different ways. So if we see faithful witness, hard work, perseverance, let's tell people, let's tell each other, let's share that encouragement. Jesus knows, and Jesus is happy with it. What a wonderful thing. So let's share that between us. And if we think that something isn't going right, and of course we can always improve, there are things we can do there too. First, we can pray about whatever we see going wrong at church level. If we feel that the church's teaching has flaws, let's pray. If we feel that we're changing our positions to suit the culture, not working hard enough, let's pray. Let's pray for perseverance. Let's pray for hard work. Let's pray that God would show us, as individuals, how we can help to correct those issues if we think we've seen things that need correction. But above all, let's pray for our fellow members. And not just for their earthly needs, let's pray for their hearts. The most important thing we've seen this morning is that the church needs to be rooted in the love of Jesus. That needs to be the motivation. And that starts with individual members. So go home after this service. Pick a church member. Literally anyone. Try and spread it around. Don't all make it me, but if somebody could pick me, that would be great. And pray for their heart. There's not one person here who will be offended by that. There's not one person here who will say, yeah, I love Jesus every bit as much as I should do. Pray that that person would be rooted in the love of Jesus, that they would grow in their love of Jesus. Pray for their motivation to work hard, to persevere, to stick to good teaching, which is their love of Jesus. Pray that they would overcome and they would eat from the tree of life with you in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words that speak to all the churches. We pray that we would be people who would have ears. We pray that we would hear. And above all, Father, we pray for this church that we'd be rooted and established in love and would grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ so that we can be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In the name of our Lord and your Saviour Jesus. Amen.